With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Good evening, New Zealand. Good morning from Lyon. On an overcast day, we've even had some rain late last night. Startling thing. It's going to be a mild 22 degrees today. It's the last day in Lyon this week for the All Blacks. Soon they will depart south to Toulouse. Start to Toulouse uh, is the setting of course. Oh, I've just stood on my mic. That's very, very sensible, Daniel. Uh, Start to Toulouse is where their team will play this Saturday morning right here on SENZ. Game kicking off at 7 o'clock your time, 9 o'clock. They'll head to Toulouse today and will announce their team as one of the lovely passenger trains. Luckily, it's uh, not as big as the uh, the huge the huge trains that uh, log. Um, lots of industry up and down uh, France. Some of those seem like, seem like a mile long, but the All Blacks uh, will name their team later today. Uh, backing off... Um, what uh, the run home have been discussing. We want to hear your team today. Uh, do let us know. Double eight, double three on the temporary bed poster text machine. But you are listening to Rugby World Cup live today, rather, live from Leon. I'll finally get that right, I promise. So Rugby World Cup today, coming to you live from Leon, brought to you by Kubota Shaping and Building New Zealand. Great show for you today. Justin Marshall is going to join us. He'll... Um, now, with the, the goodness of time, reflect on that opening performance. Uh, where to from here for the All Blacks? Who should they play? And how many of their uh, top line uh, should they play throughout the remainder of the group stages? Uh, all those questions and much, much more coming up with Justin Marshall a little bit um, later. Actually, not too far away at all. A little bit later, though, joining us will be the BBC's uh, rugby commentator and reporter. Be delighted to welcome into the show Sarah Orchard. Uh, Sarah, long-time uh, reporter, commentator, also a trained referee and coach. Yeah, just a hopeless overachiever, Sarah, and she's kind enough to join us. Uh, she can offer her initial take on the Tom Curry suspension, how England fared in that opening game, an impressive-looking scoreline, and run her eye over some of the home nations. Looking to dig a little bit deeper on some of the other teams that we have uh, seen at this uh, Rugby World Cup so far. But the big news, of course, out of New Zealand's uh, camp, well, no news is good news, you could say. Uh, we do know Tyrell Lomax and Shannon Frizzell are uh, uh, ruled out for this uh, game against Namibia. Uh, wait and see with all the other players, uh, although Geordie Barrett, as you heard uh, yesterday on this uh, program, uh, back running and uh, he sounded pretty optimistic that he would be available. Probably the biggest question mark is on uh, Sam Kane due to the fact of, well, is it worth the risk more than anything? Uh, against Namibia this coming weekend. Uh, elsewhere, the big news uh, surrounds the English loose forward Tom Curry, who received a red card in their opening game against Argentina in the early stages. That's what made England's win so impressive, as they had to do it with 14 players. Now, suspension has been handed down. The player accepted the foul play occurred, so they accepted it warranted a red card. 
Uh, the committee noted that the offence carried a mandatory uh, minimum mid-range sanction of six matches. So they were facing a six-match ban here, so it was a bit of a game of poker, I feel, uh, and they've decided to uh, omit some guilt, hopefully to mitigate uh, the actual sanction. And uh, the committee, after considering all of the factors, including that omission of foul play and the correctness of the red card, Yes, they believe the red card at the time, uh, first opportunity was correct. They also uh, factored in uh, Carey's exemplary disciplinary record. He apologised to the players, showed good character apparently. And that has reduced the sanction by uh, a maximum of 50%. So the final sanction is three matches. Now, you would naturally think, well, that rules them out of group play. Well, it definitely rules them out of Japan and Chile on the 17th and 23rd of September here in France. Uh, But he might be able to play against Samar. In fact, it looks very much like he will be able to play against Samar in their final group game, which looks a, a real challenging one for England on the 7th of October. That's going to be a blockbuster clash, isn't it? Uh, the player will be free to play in this Test match, uh, subject to completion of the coaching intervention programme, and the player intends to apply to take part in that Rugby World Cup uh, coaching intervention programme. Um, as a matter of formality, the player did have 48 hours to appeal the decision but uh, you would expect England aren't going to do that based on the fact that they accepted that that foul play took place. Now, I have a fair bit of sympathy. Yes, if you squint hard, and this is what I told the Breakfast Show earlier today, and if you look at the laws, uh, to the letter of the law, yeah, it's a red card and probably warrants some sort of sanction. But I do feel for the player because I don't think he did much wrong. Uh, The Argentine player leaping high into the air came down upon him and it it was more of an accidental head clash now, wasn't it? Yeah, it's probably not the letter of the law and I know the uh, lawyers are probably rolling their eyes now at me saying, Daniel, that's not how things go in this world. But I do have a bit of sympathy because I don't think there was anything reckless or anything intentional. It was just a head clash and you do hope and you do hope something like this doesn't happen in the second minute of a semi-final or a final because that would leave a hugely bitter taste in many people's mouths. Now a lot of people over here have been uh, drawing a comparison to a moment with Jesse Creel in the South African Scotland game saying why on earth was he not uh, sanctioned? That I sort of differ with the consensus. I think the video evidence is a little bit inconclusive. I don't think it is as conclusive that head-on-head contact happened as was very much the case with the Curry incident. Yep, definite head clash in that one. So uh, the Jesse Krell, I can understand why uh, he has slipped through the fingers of receiving a sanction. So those are really the big stories out of France. Tom Curry especially um, has been in the headlines both here in France and right across the UK as you would expect. Sarah Orchard from the BBC later to discuss this and the performances of the home nations on Rugby World Cup today with Kubota. But right now at nine minutes after eight o'clock, it's time to catch up with Justin Marshall. Well, let's catch up with our co-commentator. He did a brilliant job at Stade de France. He's a busy man. He's whirling around, working for Supersport and providing wonderful cutting analysis for us here on SENZ. And we've pinned him down. I won't go too long into his journey on the train yesterday. It sounds like it was an absolute <laughs> shocker. We're just thrilled to have Justin Marshall with us. How you doing, mate? Bonjour. Bonjour. And uh, yeah, uh, it's great to be on the show and equally it's really really interesting uh to be here in france and watch the dynamic of the rugby world cup 
unfold before your very eyes, not only the rugby, but the logistics of the whole tournament. It's been pretty entertaining already. <laughs> it has. We've had a few days to reflect on the All Blacks French game, and I'm keen to drill a little bit deeper with you on that. But the occasion, Justin, you've played in some amazing venues in your time. Uh, you've played in front of some pretty rabid crowds. I, I, without putting words in your mouth, I, I guess that's right up there as far as occasions, colour, energy, all, all in sundry. Yeah, well, the, the expectation for that game has just been building and building like over a couple of years, hasn't it? The fact that the All Blacks were going to play, be playing the host of France, who have completely changed the way that they've played, become the best team in the world. Yes, they've just been pipped at the moment by Ireland, but for consistency over a two-year period, and obviously the All Blacks are the All Blacks, like people have been talking about it for so long and all of a sudden it was right on their doorstep and it certainly did deliver. It delivered in terms of atmosphere. The crowd were absolutely amazing. Uh, they they certainly got behind the French. There's no doubt that you felt that you were in a stadium um, that was very much majority France. But uh, yeah, it was, it was just an incredibly, incredibly successful evening. Now, obviously not in terms of results for the All Blacks, but... To kick off the tournament, you couldn't have asked for a bigger blockbuster and it delivered. It, it did seem to me, Justin, um, that the All Blacks at least handled the occasion uh, from the off. They, they made that positive start. We talked about it in the build-up. Start fast, try to take some energy out of the crowd. Uh, they played a lot of footy in that 40 minutes. Um, so, you know, now that you reflect on the game, did they do enough, though, in, with that dominance they showed in the opening half? No, no, they didn't. And, and, you know, good good teams in the world at the moment, like France, like Ireland, like South Africa, they will have times when they get dominated in games. But what they do then be able to do is fight their way back into a game and wrestle the momentum back. And so what you've got to do is when you do have them pinned down, you've got to make sure that you maximise your opportunity to score points. Uh, because you know they're always going to come back and have their moments in the game or moments. And, uh, you know, they've certainly felt that the All Blacks played well enough in terms of found a way to penetrate and punch through um, a couple of times with some creativity. Uh, they got inside the 22 quite a lot uh, in that first half, but they just didn't come away with enough points. Now, that was pretty resilient French defence, but best teams in the world, you've got to break them down. You've got to be prepared to go into the well and just keep digging. And uh, the All Blacks just let the French off the hook too many times. And then when it came down to the crunch in the game in the second half, the French, if you look at it, were much more proficient at accumulating their points. Any pressure that they applied on the All Blacks, they got points from, they got points from. And uh, that'll be concerning for the All Blacks that, yeah, for all of the good things they were doing, it wasn't being turned into, uh, into points, which then leads into pre uh, pressuring the opposition. I remember you saying at the half, you know, credit France are really hanging tough here, which French teams in the past might not have done. But those little moments the All Blacks sort of missed out on, that the pass to Cody Taylor passing it out is a good example. So they start the second half really well. It's a brilliant try, really was. But please explain to me, the 35 minutes after, and you've just touched on it there, 18 unanswered points. That's really mm. troubling, isn't it? It is concerning that, you know, like I said, there's always going to be uh, time in the game when the opposition wrestle the game back into their control mm. and, and they get on a bit of a roll. And and I thought to, to a degree that the All Blacks, yes, still looked pretty good in the second half, but when it came down to those little micro um, parts of the game around the breakdown, um, around contact area, 
they just started to lose the superiority that they had in the first half. And and that's a concern because, you know, again, you you can feel that you have lost momentum, but you should be able to fight your way back into it. There's enough leadership in that team. And they also had the 20-minute water break where just after Will Jordan had been sent to the bin where they they, they would have galvanised, they would have said, right, oh, how are we going to macro-manage these, these 10 minutes? And I thought, well, it couldn't have come at a better time because France were on a real roll at that stage. So the message has got to come down from upstairs, yeah. coaching box, senior players have got to get around, and it's right, okay, how, how do we control the next 10 minutes? Because this game could be taken away from us. And they didn't. They, 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 they did the opposite. They, were, they, they got their hands on the ball, they kicked it away, yeah. And I think they made about three contact areas, uh, errors a couple of times when they actually had possession, went for a miracle offload. Now, that's not the way to approach that part of the game when, when you've got a man down. And I feel that that's really concerning with all of the players that, that have been to Rugby World Cups before, played in big test matches, that, that they, they made those errors and, and that nobody recognised that they were really harming themselves and allowing France to dictate through their own inadequacy. Before we move off on the All Blacks and look at the tournament overall, uh, three group games remaining, and this might come across as really patronising, and please call me up on this, but I don't look at Namibia, Uruguay as particularly strong opponents. I think Italy can certainly challenge New Zealand for, for long periods. Is it a worry, those three games leading into a quarterfinal, that might, they might not be as well prepared as I would like? You, you're the man who's been through tournaments. Can, can they be helpful? Yeah. Yeah, that, that was my concern about this, Paul. Um, and, and that's why I felt that absolutely Ian Foster needed to name his strongest side against South Africa at Twickenham. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously getting the result would have helped and then go to France with pretty much the same side, uh, send a statement to the tournament. And then obviously they've got real momentum. They've beaten two of the best teams in the world. They've got three, uh, three games that they should be expected to win and win comfortably but they know that they can get the job done against the best teams in the world, hit a quarterfinal with a bit of momentum, having those results, um, you know, in the bag. Well, that didn't happen. And so now they've got to find their way through this pool and somehow find some rhythm because they come to knock out the very next game against South Africa or Ireland. Um, so, look, in my mind, it's about what Ian Foster does. And if I was him, with putting my all-black coaching cap on, it would be I would be getting my starting 15 that is going to start that quarterfinal and to a degree 23, but I'm not so worried about the reserves, but that starting 15 and they play every game and they just get trucked out there and look, if some of them come off at half time and you bring your subs on, then fair enough. You can do your rotation or give players games off the bench and just inject them in all three games and he could use the whole squad from the bench, but the starting 15, he has to make, a, make a, a statement with that starting 15, let them play three games together on the bounce, go through a, a bit of adversity, uh, get some momentum, get some confidence, so that when they hit that quarterfinal, they're firing. And, and that, that, that is my philosophy in it, because the games that they've got are too weak, and the teams that they're going to be coming up against in that quarterfinals have got much, much tougher challenges where they're going to be really hardened. Let's move off. Your overall impressions of the first group of games, what stood out for you, whether it's trends, individual performances, team performances, what, what's really sort of jumping out to you? There was plenty of entertainment, um, no doubt about it. I think it was an incredibly fascinating opening round mm. to 
to the Rugby World Cup here in France, and and I'm sure people have absolutely loved it. I certainly did. So the tournament's got got away to a flyer. The one thing that I felt was really evident during the course of the weekend was the the good defensive teams in the world prospered. Yeah, now, Eng- England defensively incredibly frustrated Argentina, forced them into mistakes that they don't usually make, didn't allow them into the game, and um, just did a number on them defensively. E- equally. Obviously, France are a good defensive side. South Africa did the South Africa did the same against Scotland, just put them under pressure. So the defensive sides that are very good in the world, they they real they were really uh, had real benefit because because and also equally because of the conditions. So you know the slippery ball, you've got to take that extra half a second um, just just to regroup. Uh, th- those sides, you know, they 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 went really well. Those sentiments echoed by Geordie Barrett, who we heard from this week, talking about only the ball was only in play 27 minutes against France and they want it in play more. Well, that makes sense, right? That suits the uh, way New Zealand want to play. But he also talked about teams without the ball really prospered, you know, defensively. The heat, the sweat make it really hard to uh, keep hold of position. So um, it's going to be a real element of, of adjustment, right? Um, and if you can well, do what South Africa do, which is like, seemingly, they had Scotland's playbook, didn't they? Scotland tried everything, but couldn't get it at mm. their own end. I, I'm sure your super sport colleagues are feeling rather bullish about life right now. Yeah, they are. They did a real number on Finn and Russell as well. Yeah. I also felt that, you know, with the All Blacks, defensively, particularly in that first half, but in general, they looked after Dupont really, really well yeah. um, and frustrated him. South Africa did a number on Finn Russell, gave him absolutely no time. The problem for the All Blacks is they do not defend like those three teams um, that, that that defend that particular way that I've just mentioned, which is South Africa, um, Ireland and um, France. Yeah. You know, th- th- those, those teams defend really, really narrow. Their wingers come way, way in. And they really shut the field down. That's what England adjusted to. They hadn't been doing that, but they've changed their defence. I don't know whether they were just not doing it before the tournament and working on it. We do not, as New Zealanders, defend like that. So I don't see us making that adaption. So what we've got to do is find a way to cope with our normal defence to be able to put pressure on players um, in in a different sort of a way without going completely out of our system because I think it'll throw our players too much. Yeah, just briefly on South Africa, Look, they are really flexing their muscles, aren't they? They know their DNA. That's what the the guys that I was talking to, John Smith, Skulk Berger, Jean de Villiers, you know, they're all saying, hey, look, we are South Africa. We play Rugby World Cups a particular way. To a degree, it doesn't go too far away from the normal way we play our game, but we know our game well. Do the All Blacks know their game well at the moment? Because you feel, with the performance against France, that there was too many things that went wrong, discipline, um, there were there were areas of concern there, but equally, you know, kick strategy was really really off. You don't see South Africa wavering. They 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 know their DNA. They stick by it defensively and offensively, and they just get on with the job each week and bring it to you. Yeah, and they can wait you out too. They can wait for space because they have people who hurt you. You look at Williams uh, coming off the bench, nearly scoring one of the most extraordinary tries you'll ever see in your life if he doesn't get ankle tapped. Colby, brilliant one on one. You know, you know they are very, very well balanced. Use the D word there, Justin. Um, 
um and i've gone completely yeah. <laughs> i've gone completely the d word we, 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 we could use but yeah. we, don't, we don't want to family show mate <laughs> exactly we'll wrap it up with this i I personally feared that it would be a little bit whistle happy and that the referees would be all over it. The TMOs, especially, I think the TMOs have actually sort of, you know, taken a little bit of a step back. But but overall, the discipline, the, the refereeing, your overall feelings on that? Yeah, I, I was really impressed with Yako Piper. I thought he did a good job um, in the All Blacks game, which, which was the only live game I saw for the weekend. So, yeah. you know, seeing it live, I, I felt um, that he controlled it really well. There was some controversy. Uh, in that game where the French crowd thought that they were seeing things. Um, but quite clearly, TV evidence showed differently. So I thought they officiated that really well. I, I equally thought that Angus Garda did a brilliant job in the game that he refereed, um, as did Ben O'Keefe. I thought the referees did a, a great job at trying to let the game flow at the weekend. Um, obviously, they were difficult conditions, so we didn't have massive continuity yeah. um, in all of the games. Um, as you've mentioned, uh, off the back of what Geordie Barrett said, I think in general the ball wouldn't have been in play more than 30 minutes in most games, apart yeah. from the ones that blew out like the Garden one. But there were some discipline issues. Obviously, Will Jordan was one. Um, we had the uh, incident with Curry um, in the England game and then Jesse Creel as well. People said that there was something wrong there, but quite clearly there wasn't. And... Um, the, the thing that's probably the most disappointing is that they, they did get the, the curry one wrong. And, uh, you know, you don't want the TMO getting those wrong when you've got that review system. The review system is there to have a really good look at things and make sure that you're not upgrading um, a yellow card that is just a yellow uh, to a red unnecessarily. And you've got the time to look at the footage. And the footage quite clearly showed that there was lots of mitigation. So I think, you know, it does show you the reason I wanted to mention it is even though all of the, the protocols are in place and the system is there, if you slightly get it wrong and find yourself in that review system, you, that, that you could still have that anomaly and that inconsistency of finding yourself with a red card. So my warning would be, be careful. Be very, very careful, like when you're getting on a train uh, out of Marseille, my <laughs> friend. Justin, great uh, to see you, my friend. Thanks so much for dropping by midweek. Uh, we can't wait to, to have you again uh, Friday night, of course, in France, Saturday morning. See you at Stade to Toulouse. Appreciate your time, my man. Thanks, Daniel. Look forward to a real pleasure having me on the show. Justin Marshall, former All Blacks halfback, of course, who will be alongside us for game number two as far as the All Blacks are concerned at Rugby World Cup. This is Rugby World Cup today, brought to you by Kubota Shaping and Building at New Zealand. Your reaction to what Justin Marshall has heard, said, um, you might want to touch on all those talking points, but what about that point about play your best side and play them essentially all the time from here on in? Love to get your reaction to that. Double eight, double three, team naming, of course, uh, later today here in France, uh, early tomorrow morning, your time. Our number's 0800 You can text us on double eight, double three. 25 minutes after six o'clock, you are listening to Rugby World Cup today. Back shortly. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, Rugby World Cup today coming to you live from Lyon, our last day in Lyon this week before we shoot south to Toulouse where the All Blacks will take on Namibia Saturday morning at New Zealand time. Rugby World Cup today brought to you by Kubota, shaping and building New Zealand. We'll head off to Aaron in the news shortly. But it's that time of the day to get to our breakout performance of the opening group of games. Uh, thanks to the great team at Breakout River Meats, 100% Australian meat and only found at your local independent butcher. Now, I hope he doesn't hear this because he might absolutely laugh at me uh, in describing him as a breakout star. But I still think New Zealanders are a little bit slow to appreciate how good the man of the match for France was against the All Blacks. Yeah, man of the match for the game, in fact, Gregory Aldrit, the 26-year-old born in Condom. He's safe as houses on both sides of the ball. Oh, that's a dreadful pun, but I had to say it. Uh, the big fella at number eight uh, who plays for La Rochelle is just brilliant. The 43-cap veteran now at a second World Cup. He played four times in 2019. And actually one of the, the rare group of players in that, that uh, French squad who does have World Cup experience. He was just fabulous. He led uh, France and carries made 13. He led them in uh, metres carried. He was just a, a great presence with ball in hand, constantly getting them on the front foot in a willing runner getting up and getting back into the line uh, but also his uh, defensive work uh, brilliant uh, defensive uh, effort by him making 14 tackles uh, overall uh, the best New Zealander on the on the tackling front was Dalton Papali'i and Scott Barrett with 11 each so Gregory Aldrit uh, our shout for a breakthrough performer from those opening group of games he is the 2023 European player of the year um, if you're not aware of him, I don't know where you've been. He is a, a wonderful player. And we talk about defence. Um, his defence was very impressive. And, uh, well, France overall, dominant tackles. Eight by France to three by New Zealand. It was a real point of difference, I felt, especially in that second half. So Gregory Aldrich, our breakout performer with uh, Breakout River Meats. Insist on 100% Australian water veil beef, Shiverton pork, and Cara Lamb from your local independent butcher. Visit breakoutrivermeats.com.au. It is 27 away from 7 o'clock. Time to head off to the news. Uh, great to have your company. Double eight, double three. Love your contribution to the program. Or you can pick up the phone 0800 150811. You, Justin Marshall, say um, pick your best team. In Foston, play them all. Uh, Glenn, we'll get to your message a little bit later. He's uh, offered his uh, uh, side. I'd love to hear from more of you on double eight, double three. Coming up, though, here, up after the break, going to be a real joy to welcome into the show for the very first time, uh, BBC rugby commentator and reporter, the lovely, magnificent Sarah Orchard, will be on the program after this very short break. Stay with us. More from Leon coming up shortly. Seemed impossible to fit. Roll call, Arsenal, Spurs, Chelsea, Fulham, Crystal Palace. We've got you covered. Get the EPL in your ear canal on SENZ. Izzy and Kempe for breakfast. It's a para fan, it's always manly. You yeah, must, you must be pretty used to losing then. Well, it's supporting Parramatta. And Man U. Ooh, mate, how many premiership titles we got? More than anyone oh, I'm else. I'm saying over the more recently. All right. Uh, I'm just on Parramatta. I saw a clip last night. Gonna, I'm getting off There's going to be fist fly in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hold on.
This is Rugby World Cup today, live from Lyon. We head to Toulouse later today for All Black Team Naming, our show brought to you by Kubota. Shaping and building Australia and New Zealand. What a thrill now to welcome into the programme BBC rugby commentator and reporter, just general overachiever, a rugby referee, a qualified rugby referee and a coach too. Sarah Orchard was at Stade de France for the opening game, providing brilliant commentary alongside Andrew Mertens. Yeah, tough luck, Sarah. Uh, we've got Mertz on the show uh, tomorrow. Uh, Sarah joins us here on the program. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, do I say good morning or good evening to you guys? The sun is rising here, but I believe it, it's setting in Aratoa. Yeah, yeah. So, so good evening back home. Good morning to me. Uh, whatever. We don't mind. We're just delighted to have you here on the show. Hey, hey let's start off with the news. And, and I don't know if you're, if you're walking somewhere or you're climbing a ladder or you're driving. Be careful. You might fall over when I say this. There's been a lot of sympathy in New Zealand for English rugby over the last few days uh, based on the Tom Curry red card and subsequent suspension. What's been the reaction in the UK to the incident and, and probably the prudent um, decision to to actually you know take the ban and try and shorten it do you know what i've actually found it really interesting because i was expecting tom curry to get a ban as soon as i saw it if you watch the english premiership over here that's pretty standard fodder for a red card and yeah. a ban so there's absolutely no shock uh, we were all shocked about how owen farrell played out in the end but i think you guys will be well versed in all of that now um but the reason that curry's created all these issues is because of other events that have happened at the weekend that haven't even been cited um so we're thinking about yeah. what happened with jesse creel and that that that's where all this confusion is coming from that's causing a lot of problems. So I'm amazed uh, that down in New Zealand, you guys have sympathy for England, but they have been playing a lot of rugby recently with uh, 14 or less on the field. Um, and regardless of the outcome of his disciplinary hearing, and he's going to miss two games if he completes his tackle school, um, it is an area that England really need to tighten up if they're going to go deep in this competition. Yeah, that's very fair to, to that point. I think where our sympathy comes from is if you squint hard enough, you look at the laws, it's probably a red, that brings about a ban, but you know, how much of, of an accident was it? And, and I think we're just still all coming to grips with um, uh, the playing field and what the administrators and the lawmakers are trying to do and what happens on, on the part. But beyond that, beyond that moment, brilliant performance from England, wasn't it? And how much has that sort of buoyed the spirits of the English rugby community? Because it must have been in the doldrums after some, you know, disappointing performances <laughs> prior to the tournament. I have to be really honest. I did not see that performance coming at all. We were doing our predictions ahead and I had Argentina winning by seven or ten. I was like, oh dear, I don't know how England are going to go here. I was actually uh, reading everything that came out of the England camp this week and a lot of the credit for that performance is actually going the way of the S&C coach, Alad Walters. Now, you might remember that name because he was with South Africa in 2019. Yes. Um, and Steve Borswick really wanted to bring him in to, to almost be not just a brilliant S&C coach, but also also, Steve Baltic is incredibly straight. He doesn't crack a smile. Um, he's not perhaps got the <laughs> biggest personality in the world, is the polite way of saying it. And he knew that Alan Walters yes. was the complete opposite of that. He brings so much to that camp. And Walters was saying, look, I have been going through the process of digging England into a big black hole the last, you know, 
12 weeks that he's had these players. And he knew that when they were going particularly into that Ireland game, that they'd ha- played virtually a full match in the Tuesday and the build-up to it on the Saturday. And he said he wanted them to be leggy. He wanted them to go to dark places to know that they could overcome it. And he said it's not until now they're at the World Cup that he start pushing them as hard as they have been pushed previously. And they can actually play with freedom. So if it's true, we'll find out as the tournament gets deeper. But it yeah. did seem to work the trick against Argentina. How did you enjoy work? on your Friday night last week at Stade de France alongside Mertz, part of your <laughs> BBC commentary team for that France All Blacks game. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, that that was rugby Christmas. It really was, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> I was a bit worried. I was a bit worried about uh, Mertz when he turned up. He'd been on the hospitality ticket before he got to us. Um, and as anyone will know, 35 degrees uh, in the Stade de France, he was having to wear his... Uh, full trousers and long sleeve shirt, uh, socks and shoes. I was like, this is a hot man who is being delivered to us in a commentary position. But he joined myself and a 2003 World Cup winner, Paul Grayson. And yeah, what a spectacle the opening ceremony was. Um, But ultimately, yeah, what a performance France laid on. Uh, I did have a very amusing moment, Daniel, where in the first half when we were playing a lot of kicking ping pong, um, uh, I did come out with the inevitable commentary line of, or perhaps not the uh, greatest uh, display for those who, who love a few tries to watch. And I turned around to the two men next to me who were like, this is the best kicking you'll ever see. It's fantastic. <laughs> I was just like, oh, I'm speaking to the wrong people here, aren't I? <laughs> they loved it. <laughs> two, two kicking heavy fly halves alongside oh. you. Yeah, know your audience, yeah. but no, you, you were speaking truth mm-hmm. to power. Um, could, could, I, I, we don't have a a whole heap of time here um, and we could dig quite deep on all of these three teams but Ireland played a strong side record-breaking win against Romania that is to be expected Any expectations must be so high on them the, the other two I you know Scotland have it in them don't they they tried everything against South Africa but it just didn't work but Wales what a gritty performance that was I, I know a few people are quibbling about the refereeing in that game but you know what is the biggest storyline across those three teams uh, definitely the Wales performance and did they get away with one, I think, is the, is the biggest one there. There's, there's huge sympathy for everything that happened. I think on the balance of how the whole match played out, um, if you go for it from uh, the first, second, right till the end, I think everyone is reasonably happy uh, with what happened. But yeah, I think Wales should be very pleased uh, with the outcome of that one. Fiji absolutely gutted. But yeah, looking at Pool C with Australia in there as well, the two teams to progress from that are going to be so hardened by the time they actually come out of it. Scotland, I think um, everyone just, we, we've had this before in Six Nations where everyone goes in going, Scotland, they look fantastic. They, they're really going to make a difference. And then all of a sudden, one big loss to one big team. And it's just like back to square one again. Um, and we've seen Scotland play so much much better than that. But they just couldn't fire a shot against South Africa. They didn't really go in with the correct game plan. Um, and that's what happens when you play South Africa. I think a lot of teams are starting to realise that they are a tough team to beat. They're a lot of people's favourites oh, yeah. for a, a big reason. Yeah, and lastly on Ireland, just a little bit uh, deeper about overall expectations must be through the roof. And I hope this doesn't come across as condescending. It probably will. But my my fear for Ireland is their ability to back themselves in three big games, back to back to back. Uh, And teams who haven't won a World Cup, France is the same. They're going to have to deal with this. Is is that the, the concern for you, their ability to turn up on three consecutive weekends in the knockout stage? It's more self belief, I guess, is what I'm wondering about. 
I, I think the biggest thing here will be actually how they go against South Africa in that pool stage game. Technically, again, um, if they get the results going the right way, uh, it's not going to be who doesn't doesn't top the pool. But ultimately, that game is going to come before Ireland have to play Scotland in their final pool stage game. So it's actually it's a more important game for Ireland to get a result out of than it is for South Africa because they've already got one big win under their belt in that pool. Um, for Ireland, they are a different side under Andy Farrell compared to what they were like under Joe Schmidt. Uh, they do yeah. seem to be, have a little bit more freedom to play compared to, we used to call it Joe Schmidt formatting his players, but we actually just actually allowed them anywhere near the field. Um, but he, he's got uh, Johnny Sexton back, and that makes a huge difference to how that side operates. I think there was a few worries about Johnny Sexton's wrist as he went in, came off the back of that Romanian game. It's all about keeping him fit. They don't have depth in that one position. Everywhere else, they have got depth all the way down to sort of the under-12s in Ireland. But fly half is the one area <laughs> uh, where they are slightly struggling. Um, so keeping Johnny Sexton fit is so key to Ireland actually going on. And as you say, three big games. And remember, they have won at the Stade de France before against, uh, you know, uh, Fabian Galtier's side. So uh, I'll be honest, I think they quite like they're under the radar a little bit at the moment. Everyone's talking about France. Everyone's talking about South Africa. England back on the rise. Andy Farrell will be loving that no one is talking about Ireland. That's a very good point, Sarah. It's an absolute treat having you on the show. Thanks so much. Enjoy this tournament. Maybe we'll catch up again real soon. Take it easy. Looking forward to it. Thank you, bye. Uh, that is Sarah Orchard from the BBC, a rugby commentator and reporter. This is Rugby World Cup today. Let's get to our Rugby World Cup schedule. Um... Tomorrow, Andrew Mertens, by the way, joins the show on Rugby World Cup today and we'll have uh, all the reaction for the All Blacks team naming as far as commentaries uh, this uh, coming weekend. Of course, uh, things kick off with the All Blacks up against Namibia. Our commentary starts at 7am, a build-up with Justin Marshall alongside me from 6am at Stardew Toulouse. Uh, that is uh, Saturday, this coming Saturday. Also over the weekend, we welcome Tonga to uh, the party. They'll take on Ireland, the aforementioned Ireland. I'm really looking forward to seeing how that one uh, pans out. Well, on Monday morning, you've got a double dose of games coming your way. Australia, Fiji, huge one for the flying Fiji. And Sam Hewitt and Steve Devine have the call uh, from St. Etienne. While in Nice, uh, England take on the Brave Blossoms of Japan. Scotty Stevenson will be alongside to Ant Strawn. Strong commentary crews coming your way. Uh, those games kick off on Monday morning at 3.45 and 7 a.m. All right, let's hear from Dane Coles, the All Black. Sorry, that uh, World Cup schedule is, of course, with our great friends at Kubota, who are building and shaping Australia and New Zealand. Quickly, let's hear from Dane Coles and what the All Blacks need to do to bounce back. Well, we were right, and I think that I think the, the yellow card, like it was unfortunate, but we we just it was, and then they got a front with the with the points, the penalties, and I think we just. We couldn't get back in the game, mate. It was, um, and when we did, we just uh, we got down there and just couldn't hold the hold the pill. Like it, there was a couple, of, yeah, I reckon that just that twenty minute period when we got the yellow card and that discipline they got in front. We were playing catch up footy, and obviously Jordy's yesterday talked about the time and play off the ball as well, which is a like that's something we've got to be. If we get a turn time to to play, we're just got to make it count. And we didn't do that, so I think there's uh and the kicking game, like I don't, I'm, I'll stay in my lane here, but like, <laughs> like the, I think the way they kicked, we just we didn't, I don't reckon we reacted that smartly to that. We kicked a lot, but I think that's been um, addressed, and um, 
yeah, as a collective, we just want to be better and give, I suppose, work harder to get back to, to have a run or to kick or whatever that picture looks like. But I reckon that's my own two cents and, um, yeah, it's something we've got to improve on and, and always get better. I suppose the, the kicking and play and maybe quick throw-ins and stuff like that. But, um, I, and you obviously got the, the 20 minute, you know, water breaks as well. So, yeah, just, we've just got to be smarter and keep, try to keep the ball and, and, and make it count and give, um, I suppose, the work rate off the ball to make sure we can give pitches to, to play footy and have a crack. So there's a couple of few things that we can do to, to have, have a bit more of a crack. But when you're playing quality opposition too, they defend it quite well as well. So, you know, like it's a, there's, it swings both ways. So, um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I think, like, like, we always back our fitness, but like I said, like, Sometimes you're not going to get those pitches of playing. Like I think the Aussie game was 41 minutes ball and play. Like we might not get it this at this World Cup. So like it honestly comes back to um, when we do like holding onto the pill, being disciplined, building pressure, all those little things, defending really well on our line. Like it, there's a number of things that can help that. And it's just not because we're we're a fit team. Like um, and it, like you know World Cups, people turn up on a day and like. That pressure and that intent can do funny things to you. Can you be, you can run twenty k because you're you're playing for your country and stuff like that. So um, there's a number of things. Not oh, it's hard to probably single on, on one thing, but if we can do that, we'll um, you know we'll be in a better position to to close out games or win games or and be um, yeah, productive in that space. The always honest Dane Coles. That was Rugby World Cup today for today with Kubota. We'll catch you tomorrow, team. Have a great day.